Okay, I'm recording my second solo podcast just to get some words out into the airwaves and to just get better at podcasting in general. Still weird just staring at myself, so let me minimize this a little bit. I cannot minimize when I'm recording. Interesting. Well, I'm a little tired today, and I'm not going to lie. And usually 12.30, 1 a.m. is usually when I start getting going, and I usually go to bed around 5 or 6. But today, got a little early because my sister had a baby yesterday. Yay! And quite excited, so FaceTimed with them early. And got to see little Jacob, a.k.a. Jake. And I've already come up with a bunch of nicknames. So I'm thinking Hoyt because training day, uh, Ethan Hawke's character was Jake Hoyt. Plus, I like how Denzel kept screaming, Hoyt! Hoyt! When he gets left in the, uh, in kind of the ghetto at the very end with that guy that looks like Kobe Bryant, who's in a gang, is kind of like running the show. So that's my go-to so far. I don't mind Hall, Kind of a mouthful, but fun to say. Uh, Jake the dog from Adventure Time. Or I was thinking maybe because Jake's a you know, baby human. It's Finn the human in the show and Jake the dog. So maybe Jake the human, that could work. Uh, Jake the snake is also a good one, classic. Because you got wrestling, Jake the Snake in the 80s, who was awesome. And then you got Jake Plummer, the quarterback in the NFL, who wasn't so awesome, but still a great name. I was thinking maybe Jake Pliskin, kind of a play on Escape from New York star Kurt Russell, Snake Pliskin, one of the most badass characters ever. So it feels a little forced, though, because you're kind of – it's Snake Pliskin, not Jake. And it's like Jake the Snake. I don't know, it feels like you're skipping one too many stones for that one. You're reaching a little bit. But uh, also I like Wallflower or uh, Jacob Dylan because, uh, or uh, One Headlight. Because, you know, Jacob Dylan, Bob Dylan's son, has that group, uh, the Wallflowers. And I don't know, I just thought it would be a cute one. And I just got to catch my breath for a second. I don't know why. I sat down and I was already out of breath. So on. Ah, take a breath. Do one more. Let's make it an even three. Much better. You ever heard the rule of threes? Uh, Rick and Morty uh, writers have always said, Dan Harmon and Justin Rowland have said that when you say things in threes, it's just funnier. And I think that's a general rule of comedy from like the 50s and 60s, that if you keep repeating and repeating and repeating, it just gets sillier and sillier. And that kind of makes sense. And they've also said that odd numbers are always funnier than even numbers. So I'm always trying to end things in odd numbers when I pick a random number. I seem to always come across 17. And speaking of 17, in 2017, the movie Kong Island came out. Kong Skull Island came out. And I watched it for the first time yesterday because I'm not usually a giant monster movie, Cronenberg, gross, giant animals kind of movie guy. But I don't know. It's something about it. There was a cool cast. You know, it was John C. Riley, John Goodman, Samuel L. Jackson, Brie Larson, Tom Hiddleston. Hiddleston, I think his name is. You know, the guy that played Loki in all the uh, adventure movies. 
and it made like $500 million worldwide. And they put a lot of money into it too. I mean, Kong looks awesome. I remember seeing the previews and saying like, oh, this looked like it was expensive. And I guess, I mean, if you're going to make a movie about a hundred foot tall gorilla and the island that he lives in with kind of same uh, sized crazy creatures, you kind of got to put a lot of money into that movie because those things don't exist in real life, unfortunately. And I mean, it shows this movie looks like it cost a hundred, $200 million. And it was fun. It was campy. It's kind of gross. Uh, just a lot of deaths, a lot of uh, kind of randomness. But like, there's still some times to shine, like John C. Riley's uh, World War II uh, fallen pilot who lived on the island for 28 years was really just a cute character who just wanted to go back to Wrigley Field and have a hot dog and a cold beer, and he had this big like sad Santa beard, and he still was wearing his World War II kind of outfit, and I don't know, there's some cute and endearing about it, and I dug it, and. Samuel Jackson was kind of a good foil for the guy who wanted to kill Kong kind of justifiably because they kill he killed because Kong kind of ate half his uh, men, but also non justifiably because they were throwing bombs on King Kong's Island and disturbing the ground and uh, apparently waking up these lizard things that are worse than Kong itself. So that was fun. It was a good, it was a good two hour ride. But the crazy thing that kind of got to me was the director. I was like, who directed this? Because it's really well-directed and smart, and it takes real kind of acting and special effects and kind of mesh them together, and that's always hard. And there's this guy, Jordan Voke Roberts. I'd never heard of him before. And I was like, what other movies he done? Because like, they couldn't have just given the reins to this before you know he did anything great. And I looked at his, <laughs> I mean, his IMDb, and he'd done nothing before this. He did, he directed Nick Offerman's stand-up special, who was, you know, Ron from Parks and Recreation. But I mean, that's not that hard to do, to direct a comedy special. You kind of just let the guy perform on stage. And he had this one movie called Kings of Summer in 2013 that apparently was like an indie hit, but I'm pretty well versed in the indie hits and this was definitely not mainstream. So how did they give him a... $200 $200 million movie to just like run with at this point in his career. It just blows my mind. And he knocked it out of the park and then he hasn't done anything since really. And I mean, he's done like a few episodes of television for you or the Watch, which is a great show, but uh, it's just, it's bizarre. I wonder how these directors sometimes get these giant, you know, big blockbuster movie kind of projects after Basically making a couple indie movies on a handout. I mean, how how does the studio justify that? But I mean, apparently, I guess you catch lightning in a bottle sometimes. I mean, when you look at like Josh Trank, who got Fantastic Four after that movie he directed called Chronicle, which was really good in 2012. But he bombed the Fantastic Four and just blew the studio's budget on a really terrible movie that was kind of just... <laughs> uh, just really really laughably bad like it was below John Travolta's The Punisher it, to put it in any kind of perspective so I, I'm just fascinated by that stuff and it also contrasts I mean this movie you know was a lot of CGI and you know 
big ideas about about war and about you know justification of protecting uh your own property and like they gave kong a heart and you know the special effects are 75 percent of the movie and then i watched a movie today that was 98 minutes from 1982 called 48 hours which is like the most simplistic buddy cop looks like it cost a million bucks if that and it's just two racist guys yelling at each other hilariously while firing their guns occasionally in San Francisco. And it just goes to show the spectrum of movies. You can really, you can go from any, you can, you can create anything that's fantastic. And man, I'm still out of breath kind of, and I don't know why. I think it's because I'm bombing a little bit, but I'm learning from this Judd Apatow book that you kind of got to, be okay with the bombing and see how you can get out of it and understand the feeling. Like there's a little bit of tension in my chest and I feel like a bunch of people are watching me, even though I'm by myself completely and lower back's a little sweaty and I feel my voice wavering a little bit and it's going up. Like there's a question, even though there's no question there. So kind of just deal with that and push on through. Like I'm watching the documentary of uh, Ulysses S. Grant's life. And he was just an utter failure up until he was like 33, 34. He was a failed real estate uh, prospector. He was a failed farmer. He was a failed soldier basically because he got kicked out of his post in Oregon for being drunk. And when the civil war came and he got to lead some people into battle, he kind of, because of all his failures, he was okay getting punched in the mouth during a battle, like the line would break or, you know, something chaotic would happen. And most generals are so used to victory and not good at adaptation that he was more adept at kind of counterpunching than pretty much everyone else in that time. So he ended up being the greatest general in the civil war and eventually the president of the United States. So I guess the more you get used to sucking, the better you can kind of cope with it, which is actually, it makes kind of makes sense because two, three minutes ago, I wanted to close the computer and just storm out of here. And then the last two minutes of just kind of churning through it and incrementally trying to get back to normalcy from failure kind of one, it's rewarding. And two, it's a muscle you got to exercise and you got to get better at doing because you're not just going to instantly be perfect every time. You got to practice when there's pitfalls and when there's dead air and when your breathing's a little bit off or if you're feeling sweaty and uncomfortable. I mean, what if I'm going to have to do this live in front of other people at some point? I'm going to need, I'm not going to have the safety net of being able to turn this off and listen to it later and say, oh, I'll come back to it. It's like, no, fuck that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work through this so I get better at it. So... This is me at the beginning of Rocky one, you know, chasing the chicken. And eventually I will collapse the entire Russian government by beating Drago. <laughs> I mean, the series should have ended there. I can't believe they did number five where his protege, Tommy Gunn, who was a really big wrestler looking white guy with a mullet who 
didn't look like a boxer, and he ended up street fighting him rather than fighting him in the ring. I mean, that oh, God, Rocky Five. You know, even the new ones, like the one where he fought someone 15, 20 years younger in the early 2000s, and even the Creed movies, at a certain point, I feel like there's enough juice out of uh, out of an idea that it's kind of you just need to move on to something else. And we'll say I think John Wick and Fast and Furious are pushing the boundaries because he's on four, and those have been fantastic. And Fast and Furious is on, God, nine? And those are still getting better and crazier. But, I mean, they're adding – they're not doing the same thing over and over. You know, Rocky was boxing match against someone each time. And at a certain point, you know, you can't just keep regurgitating that. But with Fast and Furious, it started, you know – with low-level crime, they were boosting, I think, DVD players and, like, Panasonic 30-inch TVs, which is mind-boggling today to think about. Like, could you even sell those or could you even give those away at this point? And uh, now they're flying from building to building in million-dollar cars, and I think they're going to space in this next one. And there's, like, digital artificial intelligent enhancements where people are basically superhuman, you know, Batman villains or super alien, basically technology. I eventually they're going to have an alien in this movie, I think, because there's just nowhere else to go. So, Hey, that'd be fun to see the rock kind of battle an alien with like Dom holding his back as, you know, the rock. I don't know. I don't know what the rock's name is actually in uh fast and furious hops hops. Well, Hobbs pummels him from the front. I mean, that could, I'd watch that. So there's an idea for the 12th iteration or 13th there. As long as those keep, still keep making money. I mean, they're just going to keep cheering him out. And so I've hit my Fast and Furious quota for today, which is good. And it still annoys me though that Fast and Furious was a ripoff of Point Break because it's just the same storyline as a cop who falls in love with a culture and doesn't want to give up the charismatic leader of a gang, you know, with Bodie in Point Break being a surfer and with Dom being a car guy, you know, a street racer in Fast and Furious. So it makes me think, or makes me wonder if they could have gone into a nine-part series about Point Break. But... I think crime with surfing, there's just so many more options with cars where, you know, basically any kind of heist, they can drive anything. You can kind of do it at any terrain. You can do it in any capacity, like in a big city, out in the open, uh, you know, through buildings. Uh, You know, you can kind of transfer it over to planes and tanks and just lots of other fun, creative ideas. And when it comes to surfing, it's just this one subculture that's kind of limited in how creative you can get with it. So I don't think they could have made nine movies, although I would watch 9,000 movies with Johnny Utah and Bodie just going mano a mano. Maybe skydiving one. I mean, I guess they could go into adventure sports because they were both super into skydiving in the movie. And then you could go into, like, biking and then, uh, like... Yeah, they could even go into racing. I mean, who said that that's unrealistic? Or motorcycles, or skiing, 
I mean, there's there's options actually if you think about it and really break it down. So there's my pitch for today: a new nine-part series of Point Break, where they learn a new adventure sport and kind of where Johnny Utah kind of ingratiates himself into a new adventure sport every week or every you know six months whenever they make the movie to kind of weed out a criminal enterprise. So I think that's good for today. Let's call it.